Welcome to Good People Talk, the podcast of the Good People Fund. Here, changemakers supported by GPF talk about how their visions are uplifting individuals and communities in the U.S., Israel, and elsewhere around the world. In this episode, Executive Director Naomi Eisenberger speaks with Dana Reiser, who heads FEAST, a GPF grantee organization. FEAST is based in L.A., and has designed and implemented a model to address a broken and unjust food system. FEAST combines education and access to healthy foods within a support group structure that builds individual and community empowerment. For more information, go to goodpeoplefund.org and feastforall.org. For now, here's Naomi and Dana. Feast is all about food, and food plays such an enormous part in all of our lives, particularly now when we are living through this pandemic. It provides us not only with basic sustenance, it is part of our celebrations, it's part of our culture, and of course, finally, it is very much a part of the social justice scene. Feast, which very quickly stands for food, education, access, support, together is very much in the middle of food and how it interacts with social justice. Introduce to our listeners exactly what FEAST is all about. And I'd be happy to, um, and thanks for having me with you guys this morning um, or this afternoon, as it were, on the East Coast. So FEAST was created in 2013 in order to address the fact that for people living in high poverty communities, we were seeing, you know, just decades really of disproportionate rates of uh, dietary diseases and obesity, things like, you know, diabetes and high cholesterol, you know, lots of different risk factors that were highly concentrated in these communities and um, very different from what we were seeing from neighborhoods just a few miles away. In South Los Angeles, where our programs got started, the life expectancy of a child growing up there is a full 10 years less than what you would see for people literally growing up five miles down the road on the west side of Los Angeles. And a lot of that has to do with the kinds of foods that are affordable in our country, the prevalence of even something as simple as a a true grocery store in someone's neighborhood um, or the lack thereof. And it also has to do with a lot of other interrelated factors like you know, emotional well-being and the stress of living in poverty. There are just numerous, numerous pieces of individuals' lived environment and the impact that that has on both their physical health, their emotional health, their social networks, all of which we were starting to understand uh, were really contributing to these different disproportionate rates of, of lack of wellness. So Feast got started there trying to really look at the problem from a lot of different lenses and to understand how we could create a solution that was going to address something as complicated as you know these different health outcomes, starting with food. You did a really beautiful job already of sort of creating a big, broad lens to, through which we can understand what food really means in all of our lives. And my personal background, you know, really supported that. I have experienced food in my own life first from the standpoint of it being about 
my family and our culture and growing up in an Italian American household where food was central to everything we did and central to the expression of love. And then as I got older, I started to explore food from the lens of health and well-being. Um, I spent years as a holistic chef and studied food and nutrition and eventually ended up doing some graduate studies in food systems and food studies. And through all of that, started to see that, you know, food really is all of these things. You know, it's an expression of who we are as individuals, who we are as a society. It is something that can dramatically change our physical well-being and health outcomes. It is something that touches our environment, you know, the way that we grow food, what foods are available. I mean, it's just a huge intersection with so many parts of our lives. And so... When we decided to create Feast, we really knew we needed something that was going to not just teach people how to eat differently, but to really contextualize food in the way that it matters in all of our lives, which is huge. <laughs> so we set out to do that. And the words that you described, food, education, access, support together, those really are sort of the key ingredients that we put together into a 16-week program that we've now been running for about seven years Los Angeles first, and now in several different states, including New York City. Sam Polk was the original founder of Feast, and at that time it was called Grocery Ships. Can you tell us a little bit about the evolution? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Sam has a pretty unique personal background. He left a life on Wall Street and decided that he wanted to create a life of purpose. And so he returned from New York to Los Angeles, where he had grown up. At that time, he had also just gone through a, a recovery journey from you know, different substances, alcohol and other things. And through that journey, what he had come to recognize was that food was really one of the first substances that he had relied on as a young person, as a kid even, to handle a lot of the stress and trauma that he had experienced growing up. And when he made that connection on a personal level, you know, I think it was his sort of first aha that our, our food habits are not just about knowing, you know, the right things to eat. It's not just about even having access to the right healthy ingredients, that there's a lot in our own personal experience that shapes the way that we are feeding ourselves and what we're feeding in, in ourselves. You know, are we eating from a place of real hunger, a physical hunger that our bodies just need calories or are we feeding something else, an emotional hunger or, you know, maybe a spiritual hunger or some other form of, of emptiness that's inside of us? So we kind of came into the, the work a little bit through that lens and then additionally just started to learn more about the landscape of Los Angeles at the time. And again, those disproportionate rates of disease that were affecting community members literally just a few miles away that how different a person's lived environment and, and overall life um, outcomes could be. And so those two sort of ingredients went into the pot for him as he started to think about what kind of impact he wanted to make in the world. And that started to become the melting pot that, that was grocery ships at the time. So that name, Grocery Ships, was really created with the idea that we were going to be providing education, but also focused on food access very specifically. And Grocery ships meant scholarships for groceries. So that was a, a part of the, the program from the early days. Um, the idea being that we were going to not only provide resources and learning and support for people to be able to uh, explore food and, and change habits in a really holistic way, 
but that we were also going to provide food access because we were going to be in neighborhoods that were considered food deserts. And so, you know, it made no sense just to talk about healthy ingredients when there were none in the community or where those ingredients felt unaffordable or unattainable for families to actually consume. So over the years, I actually joined right at the time that our pilot program was starting. And my first task was to start to build out what eventually became our curriculum. And it was fascinating because I think we shared a sort of personal, very different personal passions for food, very different sort of trajectories through food, but really shared uh, an understanding that every person has what I like to call a food story that they're bringing into that space. And So he had a lot of the structure for how the program was gonna take place. He had the idea that it was a support group environment, similar to what you would see in a recovery model. We we sit in a circle, we spend a lot of time in sharing. And we also knew that we were going to combine things like education and, and healthy cooking skills and doing recipe demonstrations in class but with a lot of emphasis on it not being about us coming in to teach people anything, but rather people getting a space to learn from themselves. So all of that kind of structure was already starting to be built out. What we started to see, though, with the first groups that graduated was that people were not just changing their eating habits. You know, yes, they were eating more fruits and vegetables and realizing that they could repurpose, you know, their food budgets to be able to actually afford healthier ingredients that are quite cheap, like beans and grains and, you know, things that with really limited money, you can actually be able to dramatically increase the nutritional profile of your meals. But we also saw something interesting happening and it was immediately apparent, which was that people's um, sort of demeanor, their, their spirit was visibly changed. Women would come into the program being really quiet, soft-spoken, you know, not really open to sharing about themselves. And they would get done with the program at the time it was six months and they would get done and be outspoken and wanting to take on leadership roles and teaching other women what they had learned and reaching out to their community to get other women involved. And we started to recognize that that some of what was being provided was, um, or a lot of what was being provided was really going beyond just food. Um, It was creating a safe space where people started to recognize the value of their own story, the impact of their voice, the fact that if they used their voice, they could affect other people in a positive way, as well as transform parts of their own lives and their own communities. And so the more we saw that, the more we felt like the name Grocery Ships really was sort of limiting. You know, it was only speaking to this one component of providing, you know, the food access piece. So in 2018, we started to think about, you know, what would be a different name that would potentially bring together and describe what we were really seeing. And so that was when we, we through a lot of process, um, sort of came upon this name of Feast. You know, the name itself obviously speaks to a feeling of celebration and abundance and gathering together, which is really key. But all of those different words together, you know, the food education access support together piece, it really describes each component of what a Feast program brings. So you have provided all of the participants with an opportunity to really dig into themselves. I mean, there are really countless stories. And the more we've done this work, you know, every group has a woman that really stands out. A part of our model, because of what we've seen from these early days, was that we would offer leadership opportunities to women who had come through the program that 
you know, were so moved by what they had learned that they wanted to become teachers for future groups. And so, you know, we have six years of, of women who have come through um, who are doing just that, you know, they, they complete their program, they get additional training with us, and then they become the food educator or the cooking demonstration leader, or even just a peer support person that, you know, kind of walks alongside the other women going through a new program for future cohorts. And it's, it's really a part of the fabric now of what FEAST is. I know you've done some metrics. What are the highlights that you're that you're finding? Um, so the kind of three big buckets that we look at as far as data, of course, eating habits being number one. You know, we look at increased fruit and vegetable consumption, decreases in fast food and processed foods, increase in confidence, people really understanding, you know, how to repurpose food dollars to be able to, with limited resources, you know, choose healthier foods. So all of those things are sort of in the, you know, what you would expect that the sort of eating and, and food consumption, um, food preparation area of, of data. And of course, we do see that, yes, you know, people get done with the program. And of course, they're eating way more fruits and veggies. And they are, you know, incorporating whole grains that they've never heard of prior to the program. And, and they have 16 weeks of recipes that they have demonstrated they're cooking at home. Um, we do recipe challenges with each group. So they're taking photos of their families eating the food. So, you know, all of that is happening. And, and we're, of course, really proud of that. The other thing, though, that we, we did start to look at was really this emotional social side and, and what was happening there. Um, so we started to use something called the Rosenberg scale for self-esteem, which is a um, evidence-based, you know, standardized scale that tracks feelings of self-efficacy and confidence and self-worth. And really interestingly, you know, we see that women would enter the program on the lower level of the scale, you know, with low or just barely average self-esteem, and they would get done with the program. 90% of people, you know, graduating are coming out on the highest ends of that scale, feeling confident, understanding that they have, you know, capacity and, you know, really understanding a, a, a different feeling of what it means to have self-worth. And while that seems maybe like unrelated, it's so important, I think, for those of us in the nonprofit space to recognize that like you can't save anyone. You know, we are there to open up doors and to provide resources. But if people don't realize that they have the innate capacity and the inner resources to create change in their lives, then they're going to remain stuck in old habits and old ways of being. So the fact that people come out of our program and actually feel like, yes, I am confident. I am worthy. I deserve to have, you know, quality health and good life experience that base foundation is going to carry them so much farther. And again, it goes so much beyond, you know, food, but really into all of the ways that they sort of see their lives. And so they do become really active advocates in their own community, you know, demanding that there's better food in their grocery stores, um, right. helping women join their, you know, next group and, and being really outspoken about the value of taking this time for, for education and self-care. And then of course, we also look at, you know, weight loss and BMI, we look at A1C when we're working with clinic partners. Um, and we do see people in the same way, you know, people losing weight, people stabilizing, 
you know, blood sugar, blood pressure, stabilizing. So all of those things too, but it's, it's really that, that emotional core that we are, I think is really the standout for what we do. Can you give us uh, some insights into what you've had to do to um, adjust now that people can't sit together in circle? Yeah. When the Safer at Home mandates started in Los Angeles, that was in March, we at the time had seven cohorts that were going on at different community centers around Los Angeles. And we knew, you know, we wanted to provide continuity of service. Um, our programming team pivoted really quickly. And by the beginning of April, we had transitioned all of the programs online. Um, we retained 85% of those participants. Nice. Yeah. And we were able to also shift um, one of our pre-existing food programs, repurposing it for, you know, the ability to be able to address food security for a larger swath of our participants and graduates. Um, so we had previously had a Wednesday cooking class. I think you've actually seen it in person. Right. Wednesdays, we had always received produce from another partner called Food Forward. Uh, it was about 18 cases of produce that we would get brought to our office at the end of a farmer's market day. And we would just do a cooking demo with whatever was seasonal and whatever was there. And then participants could take home whatever of that produce they wanted. But it was really, it was hundreds of pounds of food that we would be getting. And we knew we couldn't have people come to the office to get that food, but thankfully they were able to keep providing it. So we started to create a delivery system. Um, we had that produce come into our office. We got a bunch of volunteers at a social distance with all of our, you know, personal protective gear and we started to bag that produce up and then deliver it to families' um, homes every single Wednesday. And so it was about 60 to 80 households that we were in rotation doing every week. And we've added on to that. Um, so since we you know, still have the programs going on virtually, now instead of just a, a gift card for groceries, that would be the typical food scholarship a participant would receive, they're getting the produce, plus we're actually delivering what we're calling a food and education box that has all of the recipe ingredients that they'll be using for the, the virtual cooking demo that week. So that gets delivered to their home. And um, it's been really you know, everyone uses the word, the silver linings of this pandemic, but it, it has brought some really interesting benefits, you know, again, far beyond what we were initially thinking about, which was just making sure people had enough to eat. For sure. No, it's it certainly, it is impressive. In 2019, I guess it was, you opened up in New York, which we were very happy to hear that you were going to make the, um, I think I even said to you all along, why don't you come to New York? There are so many, so many people who could benefit from the program. How many programs are now run in New York? Like what was our typical year last year is about eight to 10 groups that we had been running. This year has been smaller just with everything going on. Our intention is to keep it around that size for the future, you know, between eight and right. 10 programs. Um, and it runs in Har East Harlem and kind of all over. So we, we had Harlem, we had programs in Jackson Heights. We had some, uh, that were up in the Bronx. We had gosh, out in Coney Island. So almost every borough except Staten Island so far. Okay. Um, so other than New York and LA. Over these years, we'd also heard from communities all over the place that, you know, they were really wanting to bring this program to, to their constituents. And, and so the first were 
actually in Lincoln, Nebraska, we had a woman come and, and participate in a training in LA and she's been running programs successfully for the last three years as a part of Best Start initiatives in Lincoln. Similarly, we had some folks from Virginia that came to a training in New York a year ago. They had a goal to be able to start these programs through a network of churches in high need communities. And so we first trained two people and we've had folks from uh, Vermont, from Florida, and also throughout Southern California through some different healthcare providers, um, Providence right. Healthcare and LA Care. So um, even beyond our reach here in LA. What do you see happening with FEAST? What, what's, on your, what's on your horizon? We knew that this program is something that is replicable, that you know, we've now seen in so many different kinds of communities from, again, you know, Harlem to Lincoln, Nebraska. What we were learning about running them virtually um, was something that we could really apply to help us keep growing the program's reach. And I don't think by that, I don't mean like we'll run virtual programs in perpetuity, but you know, there were certain things like it would be incredible for us to have an app where the, the in-class learning that takes place is something that is then reinforced at the click of a button on people's smartphones where they can access all the recipes or be in a chat group with, you know, their group members. Um, all of the things that we've sort of been reaching for as we've been in this sort of virtual format to be able to really have that kind of teaching tool that would just make the program that much more scalable and also um, more accessible for people that are in the programs in whatever format. So that's a goal over the next year is, is sort of investing in some of those more scalable teaching materials that we'll be able to use. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, just continuing, we did our first virtual leadership trainings. So being able to provide more of those trainings and getting the curriculum out that much easier, um, I think is another core focus. What have been the benefits of working, of working with us? The first conversation you and I ever had, I was pretty newly moving on from just focusing on the programs to starting to focus on, you know, the development side of the organization and fundraising. You know, I had always felt like the relationship that was built in that first conversation. I mean, I remember speaking to you on our patio in, in Los Angeles, um, having this conversation about what Feast was or Grocery Ships at the time was doing yeah. and, and really feeling like we had an ally, like a human to human connection and and that that just continued to grow over the years that, you know, the, the relationship extends a lot beyond just what the, the grant funding that you've provided, which has actually has been quite significant um, <laughs> over the years. It has been a core piece of us being able to expand and to reach more people locally and then into New York City. But I also felt like there was, I hope you don't mind me saying this, sort of a mentorship, you getting to sort of share from, you know, the side of being a foundation and, and from the side of being, you know, a benefactor, like really kind of opening up my eyes to what that relationship could look like and, mm -hmm. and how to, you know, work together to be able to have conversations that were honest about what we really needed and really where we were trying to go and to just get to relate on a, on a really human level. And then to see support come through that, uh, that that was really, you know, it's always sort of been a part of how this process has worked. You know, I just wish more foundations worked that way, you know, <laughs> often, you know, we don't even get to meet the people that are, you know, part of our, our network of support. And um, this has always just really felt more like a, a partnership, like a true collaborative partnership right. than it's felt you know, as somebody just out there granting funds out into the right. world. Right. 
that's a, that that is our intent is that we become partners partners to bat ideas around with and share thoughts on how best to um, accomplish what you're trying to accomplish I'll also say, you know, you've introduced us to several partner organizations, um, MS Torch and others in New York, right. you know, that too, it's that we really feel like we're part of an ecosystem of, yep. of other organizations that you're a part of. That's also just really unique and, and really special. Before we end, do you have any idea that you could share with us on how to advance food justice? thought about this question quite a bit. And I think the biggest thing that people can do is to really look around their environment and find out, you know, who, who are the people in this space? What are they doing? What is their approach? And to just collaborate with them. You know, we, we are all part of an ecosystem and there are so many organizations that are all valuable. You know, there's not like there's the, you know, the food access side of this, which is so important to pay attention to. Um, there's, you know, the more like holistic health and well-being side. There is, you know, community advocacy groups. It takes all of us bringing together our unique lens and our specific way of working to actually move the needle on something as big as, you know, community health outcomes. There's really not like one avenue to go into that is more valuable than the other. I would just say, you know, really seek out those people that are doing the work and, you know, align yourselves with the, the organization that feels truest to your passion about, you know, what matters in this work. And I would also say to do that, really try to find those organizations that are working within the local community that are, not to say that, you know, really big scale organizations aren't doing essential stuff too, they are. But there are so many grassroots organizations led by the community that are approaching this from a very expert firsthand experience lens that just to come in and to help them out in whatever way you can. Um, so yeah, be collaborative, join the ecosystem and yeah, focus on the little guys, you know, they really, they will benefit way more. And I think they're also doing more personalized work. It's the personal small focus that is, that's our focus and, and we think it's the best one. So <laughs> here, here. <laughs> I just want to thank you for sharing your morning with us. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing how things evolve. We will be in touch. A real pleasure, as always. 